You're listening to the Mosaic Podcast, brought to you by Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County. Each episode of this podcast will offer you excerpts from the Mosaic TV news magazine, which airs Sunday from January to April in the Palm Beaches. Mosaic explores the most pressing issues facing the Jewish community here at home and around the world. And now, here's your host, Susan Shulman Pertnoy. Welcome to our 45th season of Mosaic. I'm your host, Susan Shulman Pertnoy. Mosaic is Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County's weekly news magazine, exploring the most critical issues facing Jews here and around the world. Today on Mosaic, we're talking security. It's always been a concern in the Jewish community, and now, with anti-Semitism on the rise around the globe, it's truly a pressing topic. We'll hear the first-hand account of Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker, who survived an 11-hour hostage crisis at his synagogue in Texas. Then talk with our Federation's Director of Security about what's being done locally to keep our community safe. We'll be right back. Joining us today is Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker. Welcome to Mosaic, Rabbi. Thank you, Susan. You experienced everybody's worst nightmare. You had a gunman in your synagogue in Coleyville in, Jan I think, January 15th, 2022. That's correct. Unbelievable. Do you mind taking us through how this started? So this started like any other Shabbat morning. Well, like any other Shabbat morning during the pandemic. Uh, we were at the tail end of the pandemic. Services were hybrid. So I had come in. I was running a little bit behind. I was getting projectors set up. I was getting uh, Zoom and Facebook Live coordinated. It's like a one-man show. Well, it's a small congregation. So, you know, small congregation rabbis do a lot. I'm very good at moving chairs. Uh, and I did have some help. Uh, Larry, who's an older gentleman, uh, who was there helping out. He was laying out the challah, getting things set, when there was a knock at the door. And this was somebody who was asking if we had a night shelter. He looked like he had spent the night on the street. It turns out that he had. Uh, and it was in the 30s in Texas. It was very, very cold out. So I welcomed him in. I asked him if he wanted some coffee. He asked if we had any tea. And while I was preparing the tea, while the water was heating, I was talking with him the whole time. And it seemed like he just needed a place to warm up. Uh, so I got him set up with some tea and finished getting ready, uh, starting the service. When did you first notice that he had ill intentions? I looked around, I didn't see anything challenging. I didn't see anything that looked problematic. Although during silent prayer, I was concerned enough that I went back to the individual and I asked him if, or I told him he didn't have to stay for the whole time. You know, if he just wanted to come and warm up, that that would be okay. And that's when he pulled the gun out on me and he pulled out the gun, and he also said that he had bombs. And he started saying things like, yelling very loudly, I love death more than you love life. And he said that over and over and over again. And that's what started our, this ordeal. 
Oh my God, that had to have been terrifying. What was what was going through your mind? Well, the first thing was, this is really happening, right? This is actually happening right here. And because he was talking about bombs, and he starts asking to speak with Rabbi Angela Bukdal, there's a few things that I'm thinking at this point. One, he's not just shooting us. He's not just killing us. Uh, he didn't just come in to kill Jews. And, and I can't believe that he actually believed, like he believed all of it. When he starts asking to speak with Rabbi Angela, he's confirming that he believes that Jews control the world. And that this isn't just some trope, it's not just some, you know, somebody who is, you know, making this offhand comment or remark. It's someone with a gun who's saying he has bombs that really is acting on these lies and this this terrible anti-Semitic trope. Well, which, I mean, he really thought what he wanted was to have his sister removed from prison. She was correct? Well, well, not his blood sister, his religious sister. Okay, his religious sister. Just like sister. we talk about our Jewish family, just like we talk about right our Jewish brothers and sisters, that was the way that he was talking about his sister, who was a convicted terrorist. Correct. And she was being held at a federal prison uh, that wasn't too far away from our synagogue. Nor was it too far away from a church, right? But he chose to come to your synagogue. He traveled from England all the way to Colleyville, Texas, to take us hostage. So, because he believed that if he took Jews hostage, that he could get whatever he wanted. That's that's so frightening. Now, how how did you how did you stay calm? How did you keep him calm? What 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 did you do? The first hour and a half was really chaotic. It was very very challenging. He's talking about bombs. He's asking us to call 911 so that we can clear out the area so that no innocent civilians would get harmed. Right? Aside from, from of course, the innocent civilians who were in the synagogue that day. When the FBI negotiator came on about an hour and a half into the ordeal, he visibly calmed down and it was almost like, okay, now I'm talking to someone who can get me what I want. And that was something that, that I think helped the situation, but I just tried to stay calm. I think all of us were just trying to, to stay calm. Did, did religion, your religious training help in that regard? How did, how did you have the wherewithal? I mean, at HUC, uh, JIR, where I was ordained, we do chaplaincy work, and we talk about this idea of being a calm, non-anxious presence. Although I think that 
all of us, all of us who were there that day. It was myself and three congregants. Everybody else, again, hybrid services. We had about a dozen people who were on Zoom or on Facebook Live. Uh, watching and, this. Yeah, watching this take place. We had the police arrive two minutes in uh, very, very quickly, an incredible response uh, for all of the law enforcement. There was over 250 law enforcement personnel that were present with us uh, that over the course of the day. And everybody was absolutely amazing. But when it comes to just trying to stay calm, I think that everyone, with training, without training, everyone really handled themselves uh, in an incredibly positive way, if you can say that, uh, given the situation. Did there come a point where you thought he was going to kill you or one of the other hostages? Absolutely. I thought that in the first few minutes, I thought we all were going to die. In the first half hour, when, or hour and a half, when things were really chaotic, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I didn't have a full understanding of what he was looking for. And after things calmed down, once the FBI negotiator was on the phone, things did calm down. He told us that he didn't want to kill us. He talked about what good people we were. He talked about what a good guy I was. It was really strange, I mean, over the course of the day. And in the last hour and a half, at the end of this evening, at the end of this ordeal, when he saw that he wasn't getting what he wanted, when he talked about how he had been compassionate, and now was the time for him not to be compassionate. Oh, that's scary. <laughs> it was very scary. It was very challenging. And I really thought that he was going to kill us. On that note, we have to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this brief message. Stay with us to hear how Rabbi Charlie and his fellow hostages escaped the gunman and his thoughts on staying safe in an increasingly hostile world. That's next on Mosaic. Mosaic is brought to you through the dedication of generous corporate sponsors who fuel the work of Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County. We thank American Commercial Realty, Appleby Udenfriend Wealth Management, BDO, Brayman Motorcars, Bruce Gendelman Insurance Services, Commodore Singer Baseman and Braun Attorneys, First Republic Bank, FPL, Rogers Design Group, and Shapiro Pertnoy Companies. Welcome back. We're talking with Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker, who was held hostage in his synagogue in 2022 in Colleyville, Texas. Rabbi, how long did this hostage uh, situation take place? It was roughly 11 hours altogether. At what point did you seek an opportunity to escape? Well, so we actually were looking for opportunities from the beginning. It was a small room. He had a gun on us and he said that he had bombs over the course of the day. Over the course of the day, we came to be more and more suspicious that he actually had any bombs. Although he had his finger on the trigger, uh, he actually 
when talking with his kids and showing off for his children. He actually fired the weapon, so we knew that it worked. And it was a very, very challenging situation, although all throughout the day, we were looking for an opportunity to leave. Uh, I was not the only one who'd experienced active shooter training, uh, and that's very much a part of the training, which is looking for opportunities to leave, to deny someone entry into a room. We didn't have that choice. Uh, or to defend ourselves, if at all possible. And throughout the day, he had his finger on the trigger. So tell us what happened when, after he asked for some juice. So at the, at the end of the day, he had just, he'd been using my phone all day to talk with the FBI negotiator. And he did the equivalent of right, the modern day slamming the phone down, right? He was very angry, he was very agitated. And he told the FBI negotiator that he was going to start killing us. And he hangs up the phone and all of that agitation seems to melt away. And he gets very, very calm. That's frightening too. It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying, and that's when he asks me for some juice. So I go into the kitchen. He can see me the whole time. I open up the refrigerator. He sees a can of what I would call pop, what others might call soda. You're definitely from the Midwest. I am, uh, Michigan, born and bred. And he asks for a can of soda, and I give him a can and a cup. I pour him the soda, and I give it to him. And then I go back to where I'm sitting, and he starts to preach at us. He starts talking with us about how compassionate he had been. Again, as I alluded to earlier, how it's time for him not to be compassionate. And he's talking with us, with his the liquid, right? He's got a cup full of liquid. And he's talking with us and using his hand to punctuate everything he's saying. And he's got his hand over the top of the gun, but it's not actually on the trigger. So his hand, for one of the first times all day long, he ha doesn't have his hand on the trigger. Wow. And so realizing that we did not have many opportunities left, we were like, where, right? We, it turned out that the FBI was getting ready to come into the building when I saw that this was probably the best chance that we had. And so I told the guys to run and I picked up a chair and threw it at him. And we didn't need long, we only needed a few seconds and the three of us who were still there, because Larry, who's an older gentleman, was released earlier in the day and so the three of us were out the door in a matter of seconds without a shot being fired. Amazing, amazing. I'm, I'm just, you, you had to be in shock. Were you in shock? I don't know about shock. The adrenaline took a very, very long time to, to come down from. 
Although I need to stress that I would not have had the courage to do that were it not for the half a dozen trainings that I had experienced. So you, do, you, you participated in something called Secure Community Network Training. So Secure Communities Network offers training, and I had experienced active shooter training, uh, lessons in how to create emergency procedures from the FBI, from Secure Communities Network, SCN, from the ADL, and from our local police department. And I'd experienced about half a dozen of those trainings. And they reiterate over and over and over again, you have to do whatever you can to get out of the situation. And it was terrifying. And yet I had an opportunity to do something. And so I did, but I would not have had, I can't stress enough, I would not have been able to do it without having that experience, without having those professionals, those law enforcement professionals, those security professionals, encourage, encourage, encourage us over and over and over again that this is what, you, you do what you have to do in order to survive those situations. And that saved my life, that saved our lives. That's, that's really remarkable. So obviously, I'm assuming you preach to other communities that they must have this training. It's, it's very essential. important. And not only do I talk about how important it is in the Jewish community, I encourage us to have these workshops and invite other faith communities to participate in this because, unfortunately, it's not just about anti-Semitism and hate. We know that gun violence can take place anywhere, in schools, in malls, uh, in so many public arenas. And when we invite others in, these are situations, these life-threatening situations that we unfortunately envision ourselves in far too often because these kinds of incidents happen far too often. And for all of us to understand that these are moments where we are all united, that if a tragedy happens in one community, it impacts all of us. Absolutely. And so it's actually a, it's not the most pleasant experience, but it's important training. And it's not that we are going to expect something bad to happen just because you have the training, just because you take CPR, it doesn't mean that you're looking around the room saying, okay, who's gonna have the heart attack right. today? Right. Right? You take the training so you're prepared. So you have a little bit more preparation, so you have a little bit more knowledge about what to do should you find yourself in a challenging and difficult situation. It's very, very important that we don't look around the world in a state of panic Right. However, it is important to have that sense of preparation. Well, thank you for that. And th I appreciate you joining us today and sharing your horrific story. And everything turned out the way it should, the, the way it needed to turn out, thank God. We're now joined by Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County's Director of Security, Carson Nightwine. Carson, welcome to Mosaic. 
Susan, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So tell us about your background in security and how you wound up working for our federation. Okay. Um, I've spent about 24 years in the United States government in intelligence and federal law enforcement. And upon my retirement from the U.S. Department of State, the Diplomatic Security Service, I moved into the private sector. Um, and that's how I found myself with the Federation. Um, I took the experience and training through my global career with the State Department and have been able to apply that with the threats and helping our community prepare for what's coming. How do you exactly monitor threats to our community? There are a lot of ways. First off, I think it's important that we reach out through local law enforcement. We have, we have a good relationship with our local law enforcement, our state and federal law enforcement partners. We also use uh, private Jewish security organizations like Secure Community Network, Community Security Service, and we get information from the ADL. And I think it's important that we use all of this information and take all their information training and then the fusion centers like from the sheriff's office and things like that and we bring all that information to the community to help make our assessments and guide what we're doing. What are some of the threats that we as a community need to be on alert about? Well I mean we're talking there are physical threats obviously there are information and cyber threats misinformation and disinformation it's also making sure the community is ready to handle anything that they hear about, trying to tap down those rumors that are going around, and giving the community credible, substantial information where we can help them cut through all of the things they're hearing. And what kind of training is available for community members who want to be more informed? Working with our partners, you know, J-Secure, which is my security office and law enforcement, and some of those groups like Secure Community Network, the Community Security Service, we bring together situational awareness training, that active assailant training, um, um, training that helps the community, again, keep themselves safe, secure, medical training. There's all kinds of security we can tap into in training from federal, state, and local government. We just heard the horrifying story, actually it turned out fine, of Rabbi Charlie and his hostage situation. How did his training help him? I think first off, listening to Rabbi Charlie, just the demeanor in which they approached it, the calmness which they approached it, I think that is a big part of multiple training. He talked about training. He talked about federal training and state training and private training like from SEN. I think all of that repetition and training helped him prepare for a situation and then when that situation finally happened, it gave them a base to plan their, their how they were going to react. I need you to just ex explain SCN. Okay. Tell, tell us what that does. Okay. So the Secure Community Network is a Jewish security organization and they provide security training and guidance uh, federation security directors. They do a whole lot of stuff working with partners in law enforcement to track the threats to the Jewish community and then how we mitigate those threats. On a day-to-day -day basis, how can members of our community do more to, main, uh, to feel safe? 
I think first being able to tap into all of these resources and like the J Secure Office, my office, the Federation, we're a central point of information that they can come to for reliable information, for reliable training courses. I represent and then these other organizations, I help them liaise with other organizations, help them liaise with local law enforcement so that emergency responders, law enforcement, they're familiar with our community and then they can react. Thank you so much. We're in great hands with you. Thanks, Carson. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mosaic Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to Mosaic on your favorite streaming platform and to leave us a review. Want more? Visit jewishpb.org mosaic where you can access full episodes of the show. To stay connected with the Jewish community of the Palm Beaches, visit jewishpb.org or follow Jewish Federation at facebook.com slash jewishpalmbeach.